0: Welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're speaking here on Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. And today we're talking about the great borough of Brooklyn. My guest today is Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso who is a former city council member elected to the borough-wide position in 2021. He just finished his first full year in the office and he emerged in that 2021 election from a crowded and competitive Democratic primary to go on to victory. He is the first Latino Brooklyn borough president and the first Dominican borough president in the city. Borough President Reynoso is a native of Williamsburg and represented Williamsburg, Bushwick, and other neighborhoods in the city council, where he focused on waste management, the environment, criminal justice reform, public space and transit, and more. He is of the political reform movement in Brooklyn, having in 2013... defeated Vito Lopez, the disgraced former assembly member who has since passed, and BP Reynoso has worked closely with groups like the New King's Democrats and other reform-minded activists and organizations. He's been a close ally and mentee of Congresswoman Nidia Velasquez and aligned with other top progressive officials in the city, including fellow Brooklyn Democrats, public advocate Jemani Williams and Comptroller Brad Lander, including an endorsement of Jemani Williams in last year's gubernatorial primary, for example. The day before we're speaking here, borough President Reynoso delivered his first state of the borough address, which is his office said was the first Brooklyn state of the borough address in about 10 years. So I wanted to talk with the borough president about his first year in office, his accomplishments thus far, his assessment of the state of the borough of Kings County. his plans for 2023 and beyond, and other pressing topics. Now, if you listen to the show regularly, we've had quite a few Queens guests on in recent weeks and months, including Queensboro President Donovan Richards, Assembly Member Zoran Mamdani, City Council Member Shaker Krishnan, and Assembly Member Ron Kim, all good, important discussions on a variety of focused topics for those individual elected officials, and all very Interesting to me and fitting since I grew up in Queens, but I live in Brooklyn now and I have for nearly a decade. So, of course, we need to focus in on Brooklyn, too. And don't fret listeners from other boroughs or interested in other boroughs will be booking or at least trying to book Bronx borough president Vanessa Gibson, Manhattan BP Mark Levine and Staten Island BP Vito Facella in the coming weeks or months. I know Borough President Levine in Manhattan has a state of the borough coming up at the end of January, so I'll be inviting him on the show around then, similar to this discussion here today with Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso. So before we get into any of those future episodes, today we have the Brooklyn Borough President. Very briefly, if you've missed any of our other recent episodes, not only those Queens guests, but I also Recently had on New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Find that discussion wherever you get podcasts at Max Politics or we have it at the Gotham Gazette site and a variety of other really interesting guests, including new Congressman Dan Goldman, who represents parts of Brooklyn and parts of Manhattan, of course, on his priorities for entering Congress and some other great guests as well. Okay, Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso welcome how are you i'm doing great ben so happy to hear you live in brooklyn uh, the greatest borough in the city
1: of new york Uh, we we welcome you and are grateful to have
0: you yes thank you so um state of the borough uh we'll dig into what you've been up to in your first year in office and what you outlined as your priorities for the year and and beyond to come but um uh, your your office when it was advising about uh, your state of the borough said first state of the borough in about ten years. So uh, your predecessor, of course, is now the mayor Eric Adams. What 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 made you return to the state of the borough and why why didn't he give any? Did you talk to him about this? Did you get advice for him on this? Why didn't he give any uh, any state of the borough addresses and why did you decide to pick this tradition back up?
1: Well, I'm not sure why Eric didn't do any. State of the borough addresses, but um, if it is precedent setting, no uh, state of the borough addresses gets you to mayor. So I'm already off track um, there. <laughs> right. uh, like I, I, I don't know. And and you know, Eric, Eric did obviously did a good enough job in this office to get himself elected mayor. So no criticism, no critique. Sure. Um, more sure. power to him. Um, you know what? What was important for me mostly here is that. I wanna make sure I can very early on define what I think this office is and what it is I wanna do, because it is different than what Marty Markowitz did. It is different than what Eric did. And I felt like I needed to set the table um, or the tone for how I will be operating in the future. So the state of the borough was less of this, um, you know, mandatory thing or an effort to promote myself. Um, it, It wasn't any of that. It was actually letting people know who I am I think of this office and how I think this office could be effective for the residents of Brooklyn.
0: Great. So let's dig into that. So what is the what is the Reynoso stamp that you've put on the office? Obviously, you came in in January of 2022. You had to staff up uh, for the Brooklyn Borough President before you becoming mayor. Uh, means he's taking a lot of people with him, of course, into City Hall and and city agencies. So you had to staff up at Borough Hall. You had to put your own imprint on the office, maybe change some focus areas. You obviously have certain mandatory duties like related to community boards and land use process and all that. But what's the Reynoso stamp on the office been like?
1: Yeah, so the first thing is... Uh we wanted people to know that we believe we are the chief executive of Brooklyn uh and want to move away from it solely being a ceremonial position. Uh for too long, people claim or state that the borough president's job is performative for the most part, and that the charter in 1969 and the changes made pretty much made us powerless. Um and obviously I disagree with that. Um uh and I wanted to start working towards showing people how we can affect change in a meaningful way for the residents of Brooklyn here, outside of throwing just events and parties and so forth. So as that, we're pushing a lot of policy uh, and using that policy to show people the power and influence that this office can have. That was the first thing. We still wanna promote Brooklyn. It is still the greatest borough. We wanna show it off as best as we can but it will not be central to who we are in this office in my time here. I want to statistically with data show the difference we made for people in Brooklyn. And one example, if I can, Ben, is my maternal health work. Brooklyn is the most dangerous place for women, black women in particular, to have babies in all of the city of New York. One in every three deaths related to the maternal mortality or morbidity comes from Brooklyn. I am going to show that in four years, I will make Brooklyn the safest place for women to have babies in the city of New York. That is something that is going to be tracked that we can speak to. It will be more than just hey, we celebrated this event, we celebrated this heritage, we you know we uh, celebrated New Year's Eve. Uh, all that stuff is great, but ultimately, did I change people's lives? Did I make people's lives better outside of just entertaining them? And you're going to see that in in this administration and. The maternal health work that we're doing is going to be an example of being an executive, showing that this office can affect meaningful change.
0: So that's been a major focus of year one. Uh, you have put a few things in place on that front. Why don't you say a little bit more about that, since that was that was a top of your list of promises when you were running. This is not a new initiative you came up with when you got into office. You were talking about this on the campaign trail in twenty twenty one. Um you've followed through on this in some ways so far. What are a couple of things you've done in that effort that you said will obviously will will be a multi-year effort, but what are some of the initial things you've done on improving maternal health in, in Brooklyn?
1: Yeah, first, uh, be very careful as an elected official to make promises during campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. It's tricky uh, and I, I make very few, uh, but this is one I definitely said, if I come in, I will do. So we've done so far with maternal mortality is we've uh, allocated 45 million dollars in capital dollars to the three public hospitals in this in Brooklyn, Woodhull Hospital, Kings County Hospital, and Coney Island Hospital. They are now going to get state-of-the-art the birthing centers uh, in every single one of those facilities. And to put it in, you had a uh, to like contrast, I guess, you had. Uh, Borough President Donovan Richards is a good friend of mine. Uh, he gave about $1.9 million to Elmhurst Hospital to help with their mother baby unit, which I applaud. We gave $15 million on average to every one of these hospitals. So what we're trying to do here is not just you know, infrastructurally change the space, but we want it to be a world and internationally renowned sites, right? We want people to come from Japan, from Italy, from Europe, from South America, come and see our facilities because they're unique uh, in a way uh, that is impactful. That there are things that are gonna, these sites are gonna have that no one else in the world has. The next thing we did outside of the infrastructure is ensuring that we could change the way people think about maternal health. Our doctors need to understand what it is that puts women in a position to lose their lives during childbirth for the year after. And for too long, black women uh, have been thought to have a higher pain threshold than white women. Um, black women are not listened to. Also, they're not informed of the rights or what they can and cannot say during uh, their their pregnancy. So we're going through an educational campaign, working alongside Berlin Rosen. We've had digital ads. We've had ads on newspapers and train stations and bus shelters. Uh, if you are on YouTube and you're in one of those targeted districts, you probably saw a video of me and a couple of uh, other folks promoting this uh, this health initiative. We also have something called baby boxes, which are actually just uh, baby bags, uh, because we we put it in a, one of those you know baby duffel bags. Hmm. But we have about a month supply of diapers, wipes, and essential items for a new mother uh, to have. And we gave those away about 400 or 500 of those to the first 500 people that had babies um, since the initiative was launched. In Coney Island Hospital, um, we don't want mothers to have to worry about ne- the necessary items. Uh, we want them to take care of their their health, their mental health, and so forth. We've also started a program in which we're working with some higher education institutions to begin a midwifery program and also a mental health program with a focus on uh, postpartum depression from for pregnant women. So we talk about like a robust effort here. It is a robust and comprehensive effort. This is the most uh, expansive uh, effort that has happened in the history of the city of New York when it comes to pregnant people, and we're very proud of it. And because of this effort, I'm confident that we're going to show numbers uh, and the data that proves that with with a little elbow grease and commitments from people like me, that we can save lives.
0: Um, Just to stick with how you're allocating the capital funding that you get through the city's budgeting process, Going with your um, uh, basically the entirety of your capital funding uh, towards the public hospitals, as you mentioned, do you have a plan for uh, the next time to follow up on that? Is that going to be enhanced in some way, or are you going to be able to take that investment there and then now with your next allocation, sort of think about think about how you mo- use that money differently, or is there more to further that effort? How are you thinking about your next pot of? Um, capital funding that you get through the city budget process. Uh,
1: This is a big borough with a lot of needs. Uh, And I made this commitment and I remember talking to BAM and talking to the Brooklyn Museum and saying, hey, this year we're gonna have to hold out on being able to help you out with a lot of the needs that you may have. And they all said, go. They all said, it's okay, we got you. We understand what you're doing. Your initiative is worthwhile and we don't wanna get in the way of it. But this year we do have some more work to do in some other hospitals. Uh, even though these three public hospitals handle most of the pregnancies in the city in the in the, bor- in the borough of Brooklyn, uh, there are other independent hospitals that also take on a lot of pregnancies, like Wyckoff Hospital, uh, like Brookdale Hospital. So there are some further investments that are gonna come into for this initiative. Mm -hmm. But I am moving on to new initiatives. So in the state of the borough, i made mention to about four initiatives that we'll be taking on, of which uh, at least three of those are going to need a significant amount of capital investment. So yes, um, we're not done with the work we're doing on maternal health. But when it comes to the capital dollars and the infrastructure, we went all in on year one so that we have less of a need in year two to pay on a lot of that infrastructure.
0: Since you mentioned those, I, I want to come back to year one and this and the next big thing that you've got going, which is your your comprehensive planning process. That's but it. let's just hold off on that for one more minute. Since you mentioned your upcoming initiatives, why don't you go into, you know, sort of in brief, a, a quick overview of those you, you talked in your state of the borough about um helping create uh, space for nonprofits about um, increasing uh, rooftop solar projects, about helping black owned businesses, particularly in Brownsville and um, and community board reform. So say a little bit about uh, one or two of those as top priorities for this this year here in 2023.
1: Okay, so the first one, um, which I think is just straightforward, is the solarization project that we're working on. Um, In general, because we've, it's an initiative at this point, and we got to execute. What we want to do is see if we can find some rooftops um, in neighborhoods that are utility uh, burdened, which are areas that spend more than a certain percentage of their money that goes to utilities. Uh, We want to undo that burden or or assist with that burden. Um, And in doing so, we believe that we can take these buildings, put solar on the roof. It'll charge a battery um, in a more central location. And that battery will allow for Con Ed or whoever your service provider is to reduce the amount of uh, they charge you on your bill. So we will see people with a $70 bill go down to a $60 bill, $55 bill, simply because of the work that we're doing in and around those neighborhoods that are gonna be affected. Now, there's a lot of work that needs to get done to make this stuff happen. So we're have uh, we gonna put a team together. We have a task force for whatever initiative we're taking on of people that know about this a lot better than I do. And Mm -hmm. when we have that, we'll propose and push and give the plan to Brooklyn so they can see how it works. But the goal here is to do a large, large scale solarization project in Brooklyn um, in many
0: neighborhoods that, again, would undo this uh, utility burden that exists you, in these Are you working with Controller Lander on this? We reported at Gotham Gazette a while back. I don't know the status of it now, but several months back that he was working on a something he had talked about in the campaign trail when he was running for controller about a, uh you know moving ahead on a big public solar uh rooftop solar project and he's in talks with the adams administration about this is this something you're coordinating with other partners in government or is this more of a brooklyn borough president office initiative at this point
1: yeah so after my speech uh brad lander our controller came up to me and said hey we have to talk we need to sit down um i want to be honest uh when it comes to Jamani williams and brad lander we do talk a lot but because we're so close Uh, You know, those are the friends that you could ignore for quite some time while you build up new relationships and get to know other folks. Uh, So, unfortunately, we haven't sat down and talked about our initiatives, uh, but... When I sit with him, I'm hoping that this is something that he's working on and we could collaborate. Uh, I'm in the business of working with people, of leveraging the resources that we have in this office to maximize what we're trying to do. So if instead of, you know, three neighborhoods, four or five neighborhoods being affected, if Brad can help me get to 10 and the mayor can help me get to all of Brooklyn, then that's what I want to do. So we will be thinking about these things in, in a collaborative elf effort. With the maternal health work, it, because it was uh, six months to get this done, uh, in the beginning of the year. And because we had so little staff, we didn't have an opportunity to build in partnerships or any of that. So we had to throw in all our money, all of our resources to it. In this case, we have more time, more partners. We have a built out office. So we expect the different outcomes and expect more um, when it comes to leveraging these partnerships. So uh, we haven't talked about that. And this has so far been an independent
0: push. By Sounds our like you, you will. That's, that's- that's yes. why it's good for elected officials to attend each other's uh, events. I guess you get you actually yes. get. Or, some of
1: them. or to just come on the
0: Ben Mac show and uh, <laughs> yes, exactly, you know, we'll, exactly. We'll figure it out yeah. either way, yeah. one way or another. All right. Um, do you Thanks. want to say something about the Brownsville? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: So the Brownsville, uh, look, like, I want to call it like a business incubator. I guess is what we would want to call it right now. I'll change the name to something a lot more cooler because we are Brooklyn. Uh, but the idea here is uh, we we were in. Brownsville. We walked down Belmont. You know, it, it needs a lot of support. Uh, a lot of shuttered businesses. COVID has done even worse to it. It's a place with uh, economic development that is 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 in need of assistance. Um, the streets are a problem. The lighting is a problem. The tree canopies are a problem. Uh, and this is an area that has a very you know uh, a low, uh, very poor or low income community. Um, and we want to see if we could do something about it. So we want to think outside the box, not this traditional, you know, bring in a, a couple of folks that can, you know, enhance the space or add lights to, to, to the corridor. What we're trying to do is, and this is, I'm going to use numbers that are not real right now to give an example. We are going to look for 50 black entrepreneurs from Brooklyn, um, hopefully from from Brownsville, we're gonna give them like a six month challenge. They're gonna be working along the Central Brooklyn Economic Development Corporation. And a six month challenge is simply having to go regularly to meetings that are gonna assist them with uh, work development and just entrepreneur development, understanding financing, understanding how to run a business and just cleaning up whatever business plan they might have so we could see the top, let's say 20 businesses. From those 50, we'll pull the top 20. The other 30, worst case scenario, just got a brand new business plan put together just got assistance from uh central brooklyn edc from banks from our office so that support still is there and they can open up their businesses but for these 20 businesses let's say that are left that are the ones that we chose we're going to give them a space on belmont within let's say a three block radius so it'll be a shock to the system because we want them opening on the same day we want to beautify the area by adding new trees talk to the city and DOT about repaving fixing sidewalks, adding new lighting so that it is more more uh, more beautiful or lit, lit up. We want to throw a block party on opening night. Shut down those three blocks. Invite as many people as we can. Come frequent these businesses. See if there's some corporate partners that are willing to, Visa wants to give out $20 gift cards for you to spend in these new businesses. Uh, maybe in the summer when these businesses open up, we shut down the streets every single weekend or whatever, a program that can help them out. But really shock the system when these businesses open. We want to give them a certain amount of rent free. We want to see if we could work with these landlords to buy us some time so that for six months, they don't need to worry about overhead related to rent. And they're focusing solely on keeping their businesses operational and have long-term sustainability. We're also thinking that if we do these 20 businesses, it's about 75 job opportunities. So what we would have ended up doing is have 20 black Brooklyn owned businesses, an increase of 75 people in an area that has one of the largest uh, employment stats in the country, but definitely in the city. Um, Beautify an area, revitalize a corridor um, and just do it in one shocking and aggressive manner. If this works, we want to talk to the mayor about doing the same type of shock therapy and opportunities for other businesses in areas that are not that are traditionally not successful and definitely don't have black or brown or minority or poor or women owned business opportunities. So that's an example of, of, a, of an idea that we have and we're now beginning the stages of working alongside some partners to help us achieve that.
0: Very interesting. All right, well, a couple of, a few big initiatives there uh, underway that we'll, we'll be interested in seeing how they develop and, and whether um, some of the promise comes comes to fruition there um say a little bit about um calling yourself the the chief executive of brooklyn um what does what does that mean uh borough president obviously you're getting into some of the the initiatives and projects that you're working on some of the ways that you're allocating funding that your office gets um you have appointments that you make to community boards and a number of you know other boards and councils and you know certain charter mandated activities you weigh in um, on on land use change matters, but what does it mean in your mind to be the chief executive of Brooklyn? How do you think about that conceptually? Yeah, so
1: I see Marty Markowitz, for example, as the chief promoter of Brooklyn was his role, and you know, probably Mister Brooklyn. Uh, and and shout out to to Marty Markowitz, who's been very helpful to me in my in my first year, um, and is consulted me on on many, on many occasions. What I want to show is that the charter mandated responsibilities that were given onto the borough president's office, which are community boards, land use, right, um, are things that we can actually turn into something that that is meaningful. And we're not rubber stamping or just moving through a process to get it over with. You know, we we use community boards, for example. in the charter, it simply states that we're supposed to assist them. Like technical assistance is our role for community boards on uh, and appointments, appointments and technical assistance. We don't even know what that means. What does technical assistant mean? Um, assistance mean. So we're going to define that. We're actually going to go through a rulemaking process that is going to interpret what we think the charter was trying to say. Um, and through that process, we're going to be able to further define the roles of the community boards but also the role of the borough president to those community boards. And in doing so, building some level of independence for what we consider 18 city agencies in the borough of Brooklyn that need assistance from other city agencies. And right now, what you see is a very like ad hoc system. Everyone kind of does whatever they feel needs to be done. Um, We're plugging in holes. Uh, In some places we're negotiating leases and others, we're helping people get hired. Uh, You know, it's just random and it it makes no sense. We're going to normalize that because we're taking this role a lot. We're taking this role seriously when it comes to community boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want them to be representative of the work we're doing. Uh, but in doing so, we're going to be able to start executing things like our comprehensive plan because we also have our land use role or charter mandated responsibility as a recommendation. But when we make recommendations, we're making recommendations one one zoning at a time. And that is, uh, again, just this, this almost... Uh, rubber stamping effort or, and I don't want to say that it's just like, we're just a a blip in the system towards the ULA process. Like nobody cares about us, not in any real way. Um, And we're not influencing outcomes in any significant way. Whatever the council member wants is ultimately the council member's decision. Um, They have full authority over land use under the charter. So what can, what effect can we make? So I want to do this comprehensive plan. I want to use my role as the chief executive to show the entire borough that what happens in one district affects another. And like that's extremely important. Um, so we're taking these charter mandated responsibilities and defining them or, or making uh, or making sure people understand exactly what those roles are. And then we as executives or, or as an executive are applying resources, funding, and this office's, is again, authority to achieve that. Uh, so what we wanna do is just make sure more so than just the, the, the effort and what it is to be an executive of a borough, and is moving away from this idea that we're a chief promoter solely, that we're here to just yeah. throw parties and events and, 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 and promote yeah. Brooklyn.
0: Ch- challenging to be a chief executive when you don't have a lot of final say on a lot of things, but that—that's, I guess, that's part of where this comprehensive planning comes in, as you just mentioned. So, so say say more about that. What is what are you going to produce here? You just launched this process, or or you launched this process in in twenty twenty two, but you've you know really just kicked it into a new gear, as far as I can tell. Um, where's it heading, and what's what's it going to produce? I mean, when you say comprehensive planning, are you going to produce a plan? for Brooklyn that says to the mayoral administration and the city council, here are a a very big set of things that we want you to prioritize and fund and move ahead for the borough of Brooklyn or where's this headed?
1: Yeah, we're gonna make our voices mean something um, versus just independently and in silo approving projects. And Mm -hmm. what we're gonna tell the mayor and the city council is, uh, and I'll give an example. Right now, we know that since 1960, there are neighborhoods in this city that have never built one unit of housing, affordable or not. Um, we're going to show that to East New York, who's built like 20,000 units, or Downtown Brooklyn, who's building 10,000 units, or North Brooklyn, who's built 30,000 units. It's just that uh, the the equity there's no equity in the work that we're doing, and it causes uh, it causes a few neighborhoods to bear the burden of a lot of the needs of this of this borough, um, and of this city. Uh, so what we need to start doing, we need to build, we need to build everywhere, especially around transit-rich corridors. So mm-hmm. but we need to show Brooklyn why that is the case. I think a lot of the reason currently there are a lot of fights related to ULERP and development uh in this city, they come from neighborhoods that feel that they're doing all the work um and that they're being gentrified and displaced, and that it, it's a it's a very individual feeling like we're we 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 um or i i i in that case in this case in in what we're trying to do is look we want you to build you know two thousand units of housing in your neighborhood but don't worry because bay ridge wants to build is going to build some too so as she said bay so is canarsie everyone's building so you are no different than any other neighborhood it isn't because you are black or brown or because you have no political capital that we're building in your neighborhood which is how people feel right now um it's because you have a responsibility to the greater good here to build housing borough to, to build housing everywhere so what we're trying to use is an example this comprehensive plan is going to be an example of what we can do collectively um to accomplish our goals and it won't let and what I will do is I will be approving projects based on my comprehensive plan and not at the behest of a council member. So the council member could not want any development or could not want something in their community. If it falls within the guise or the guidelines of my of my uh, comprehensive plan, then that's exactly what I'm going to approve. I'll remove the politics from it and make it almost a, a document that is gonna guide my, my decision-making. Um, but it's also gonna expose uh, the inequities in our system the council members that are saying no to development, the council members that are saying no to homeless shelters, the council members that are not bearing the burden of any of the ills of our neighborhood. They will be, they will be noted and, and very clearly on this comprehensive plan. And I'm hoping that as a city, we can move forward with a comprehensive plan uh, and that the mayor move move forward with a legislating one because we couldn't do it through the charter revision commission, but that the mayor move forward and thinks about uh, the city as one and how we can all work together to solve for the problems of our city um, together.
0: Mm-hmm. I hope that explained that. I know it was long Yeah, no, so so, so, so um, uh, looking at the process that your, your office has outlined, you um, have published a draft of a existing conditions report. You've started to hold some public events. Uh, you're taking feedback on this through the end of the month. Then you're going to be... Um, working on pulling together recommendations and pulling together a, a comprehensive planning process throughout much of the first half or so of this year. So when you, when you say this about city council members, I assume they're also involved, right? I mean, you, are you, are you engaging with, with those other elected officials in the borough? Yes, I am. They're very involved and I'm, so, I'm communicating this to them. So when you're putting together a plan, you're saying, Here's how we do equitable distribution. Here's how we do fair share. Here's how we do um, economic development, housing development across the borough uh, in equitable ways. But here's sort of a, a, an attempt at a shared vision for growth and equity uh, a, along a variety of lines. Is that sort of the the yeah. gist? One hundred percent. You
1: you nailed it on the head. And look, we're having some very difficult conversations with some members and just saying, look, you've produced no affordable housing um, and we can't, and, and it's not just a housing document, it's a planning document. So there's a, we have neighborhoods like Bay Ridge that need the most school seats than any other district in the city of Brooklyn. So when development is happening, are people are people fighting for a supermarket or for more school seats like we gotta everything we do has to be database it can't be anecdotal and personal experience trying to dictate the outcomes of a lot of these zonings or these redevelopment opportunities um, there could be uh, and I talked to to someone about a need for a supermarket versus a need for a daycare center no one knows the statistics what are the seats for daycare in Brooklyn in a neighborhood or is this an uh, area that needs a supermarket because we're gonna out, we're, we're gonna document it all. We're going to be able to make data-based informed decisions on what the needs of a community are, and then we're going to make rec- and then we're going to use our recommendation power to push that onto the member and letting them know what we think through data as to what they should be working to achieve to solve for our problems.
0: So some of what you're saying here sounds a bit like what Governor Hochul just talked about in her State of the State address. What what did you make of her talking about? every locality needing to do its part and meet new targets with respect to housing growth. I thought it was great. She
1: hit it right on the head when it came to the need to develop housing everywhere.
0: Now that, <laughs> that, yeah, now, now by some quick math, the way that she's outlined the proposal. And again, this is just a proposal, but this would under her, under her plan for, uh, She's outlining you know, upstate communities would need to grow by 1% of housing stock over three years, downstate communities 3% over three years, which is obviously 1% per per year. So that's something like roughly 32,000 new housing units in Brooklyn over the next three years. Um, I don't know if you've looked at this that closely, but do you like the sort of numbers that she's thrown out? Do you think 30 you know it's it's not that far off I think on the on some of the numbers that have been developed in in Brooklyn over the years but do you think 32,000 new housing units over three years in Brooklyn is is a good goal is possible do you need to look at it further what's your reaction on sort of how the governor outlined those targets I need, I need to look at
1: it further for sure to, to really get into the granular but uh, I my biggest concern over those type of numbers is I just want to see the equity I think the folks that have caused the most harm to the housing development in this city are folks that have promoted suburbs and single family housing. And uh, we get, we need to really address that. And this idea that we're gonna allow for people in single family or two family, or three family zoning to move slower than people that have or neighborhoods that have high density zoning I think it is, is unfair. Um, I would want everybody to start moving at a faster pace. Mm-hmm. Um, the number really doesn't scare me in Brooklyn. I wanna build as much housing as we possibly can in the shortest amount of time. We have a housing crisis. We have a homeless, uh, homelessness crisis and we need to solve for that. So I'm not scared about a number Uh, that that is being proposed. I don't think 30,000 is too much, whatever. As long as it's doable and reasonable and real, if it's real, then let's get to it. And I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be a part of letting some folks know in transit-rich areas in these neighborhoods, if you come to me, I will speed up the process. It takes 30 days or 60 days in the borough president's office to move through an application. I'll do it in three days and move it on to the city council immediately. We don't need to talk about it a lot if you're looking If if you're falling within the principles of the comprehensive plan that we put forth. Um, If you do that and you and that's what we're going to ask is when they submit their applications here to Borough Hall to show where they fall in line with the principles that we set. If they check all the boxes, we're not going to spend a lot of time here discussing on whether or not we want the development to go up or not.
0: Are there specific areas in Brooklyn that you think you you know clearly you believe need to be? rezoned, up zone for more housing density?
1: I believe everywhere. So I wanna be very clear. Okay. Just okay. because you built a lot of housing doesn't exempt you from building more housing. Uh-huh. So I just wanna I don't want to stop somewhere, but I wanna build equity. I wanna let people know, yes, you've done a lot. And we want to thank you for your service and for contributing to the greater good and we're going to continue to ask you to continue doing the greater good in downtown brooklyn in williamsburg and these areas east new york cypress hills bushwick they build a lot of housing we want more housing but you are not alone anymore you're not the only places building housing the rest of the borough is going to do the same so i don't have a particular area where i want to push this i just want to make i just want it to make sense and um, especially again transit rich or transit oriented development is very smart and something we should be pursuing. So um, those but are
0: the but I, there are lower, you know, there are lower lying areas of Brooklyn. When I when I spoke to former Deputy Mayor Dan Doctoroff, who was obviously just um, a co-chair of this new New York panel for the governor and the and the mayor, he was he came on the show here to talk about the new plan that they all put out and he co-chaired that panel with uh, former deputy mayor Richard Bury. And when I talked to Dan Doctoroff, I asked him, Do you think you did too much? Uh, down zoning or preservation zoning during the Bloomberg years? And he said, yes, yes. Um, which I was a little surprised to hear him uh, come around on. Um, are there lower lying sort of areas of Brooklyn that that, again, you think are sort of need to be at the top of the list in terms of where zoning is changed? Because, as you've said, you know, a lot of the one off projects uh, wind up becoming these these immense negotiation slogs and it's really about you know more fundamental changes that that's obviously what the governor's getting at with trying to you know implement some of these statewide um, shifts. The mayor has talked about this as well. He's obviously getting uh, putting together uh, some some zoning text amendments that will be out in the next year or so. Um, but are are there specific places in Brooklyn where you're immediately saying, um, you know we we've we've sort of exempted these areas for too long from doing more in terms of growth so a, a couple
1: of things there. Uh, one, I agree with them that they set us back significantly by doing zonings. These downzonings happen almost entirely or exclusively in white affluent areas. <laughs> like it's just the same problem we consistently have. So it wasn't just that they did downzonings, is where they did the downzonings was, the, was also part of the problem. So yes, that is something that we're going to be looking at. We want to rehash that. We want to have a conversation on whether or not those downzonings were prudent and whether or not we should be undoing them and rezoning those areas for more development opportunities. The thing with the comprehensive plan that we're pushing is that we're going to be having we're gonna have principles then not specific recommendations for areas. We're not gonna say, hey, Bay Ridge, you need to build a thousand units and you should build it in this area. What we're gonna say is you fit these characteristics. You're in an area that is low density, um, high transit rich, good schooling, good parks. That is an ideal development district um, through a characteristic. And that could apply for five, six neighborhoods. And in those five, six neighborhoods, if you fall within those characteristics, I will support increased development. So for me, it's more like it's more characteristics and presentations uh, of opportunities versus outlining every single street in this right. borough and seeing where it makes sense.
0: Interesting. Um Are you expecting the Adams administration and its Department of City planning to be putting forth neighborhood plans, community rezonings, neighborhood rezonings? They've obviously um, they're working on the Metro North uh, developments in the Bronx. They're working on the one in Brooklyn. Uh, along Atlantic Avenue, but are you at all in communication? I know you've had a lot of criticism in the past, the past about the Department of City Planning, but it's a new new administration now. Obviously, are you expecting the Adams administration to be putting uh, to to be moving forward on certain community plans, neighborhood rezonings, that type of thing, or um, does it seem like they they're sort of tabling that? I, I don't have a I don't have a real feel for where they're at on that. Yeah,
1: then... DCP is DCP is DCP. It doesn't matter what administration comes in. They're a fiefdom. They're a, a siloed institution unto themselves. The changes that happen Even there, under the new administration? Even under Dan, Dan Gorodnik, your former colleague? No, that's, that's, uh, Dan Gorodnik is a good friend of mine. I got a lot of love for him, but I, the confidence I have in DCP's ability to not do what DCP does is very low. The institutional players within DCP have not changed. If you look at staffing in DCP, um, when at the executive level, at the higher levels, it's just almost exactly the same people that were there for the last decade. Um, and how do you have people that have been doing things one way want to change that in any way, shape, or form? And they just don't. If you look at a lot of what we're presenting now is what? Another, more neighborhood rezonings, the way Bloomberg did them, the way de Blasio did them, the way this administration would do them, because that is what they know. Those are creatures of... Of uh, what do you call that? Uh, of,
0: of of, of what? <laughs> creatures of habit. Habit. Thank you yeah. so much. So yes, yeah, so, they're yeah. creatures of and, habit. I, okay. I, and I don't. Well, seen I it mean, ever. Mayor Adams talked on the on the campaign trail. He hasn't really done anything one way or another on this so far. But he talked about a lot of what you're talking about, which is rethinking which neighborhoods really should be asked to develop more affordable housing, right? And doing it so more.
1: How is he going to do that when DCP is going to give him the same list they gave to Blasio, the same list they had when Bloomberg was here? Their list is full of what they call opportunity areas, which are black and brown poor neighborhoods that they think have opportunities to develop. They're going to give them the same list. And in that list, it doesn't include any of these other areas that tend to be more politically you know, have more political capital and more hmm. opportunities to, to help folks. So I just don't, look, I wanna be surprised, Ben. Yeah, That's I didn't what I want. Ex-
0: Yeah, okay. I'll I didn't surprised. expect you to be I, so pessimistic about that. All right, all right, oh, we'll see. Holy. I've been
1: doing this for, I was a council member for eight years. I know. That, I yeah. Chief of staff for eight years. And I'm the borough president now, DCP never has, has never shocked me or amazed me. I mm-hmm. mean, um, I'm more than happy to be the first person to give them a round of applause and a good job as soon as they get something done. Till then, all right. Let, specifically about this agency.
0: Let me ask you a few other things here. Um, when you were running for borough president, you said uh, the ideal situation for the BQE would be to tear it down and not have it come back. Um, there's obviously a lot of moving pieces around what's going to happen with uh, the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway. Um, where are you at right now in terms of your vision for what happens with the BQE Um and yeah. and any specifics you can provide about what you want to see happen? Yeah.
1: This is a tough one, uh, Beth. So first, I want to applaud the mayor and the Department of Transportation for having some sort of effort related to like the cantilever portion of the BQE, right? There's an effort. There's an effort, there's funding, there's a commitment. The deputy is involved, the DOT's involved. This shows that they want to do something. This is not a lack of resources or attention. Uh, to that one part, the cantilever portion in Brooklyn Heights. Um, So I want to, I'm grateful to them for that. The problem I have is that all we will be doing in moving so quickly with a plan is regurgitating Robert Mosian type infrastructure and transportation policy. It doesn't give us the time to really think about what a city, the city of the future looks like when it comes to transportation, to moving goods and freight, to discouraging people from single vehicle use and moving into a more walkable, bikeable public transportation city. So I'm concerned overall with the BQE conversation and how we're having it. And unfortunately, we're having it is because we had to make a deal when it was first built to build this cantilever in the first place, because people... In the past had political capital that others didn't and because of it we built special infrastructure and that special infrastructure is falling apart faster than traditional infrastructure so not only did they get the benefit back then by robert moses because they have political capital and their neighborhood didn't get sawed in half like mine did in williamsburg but now because of that special infrastructure they get to talk about it about new infrastructure in a way that the northern portion of the cantilever and the southern portion cannot I also am concerned about the state not being involved in any way, shape or form. So, so far, the only conversation that we're talking about is the people that have a lot are gonna get more. And it's an unfortunate thing. It's very unfortunate. So I'm, I'm concerned about the entire process and, and all of it. Um, I know the mayor wants to do right by aging infrastructure that is falling apart, mm-hmm. um, but we should, we should really be talking to the federal government about looking at this corridor from north to south, seeing whether it's worth having and what opportunities we have moving to move to a future transportation vision. Um, that isn't what we've seen so far from from DOT or this administration.
0: Mm-hmm. But it sounds like this is not something you're necessarily trying to put out a vision on.
1: It's a tough one.
0: I, mm-hmm. I have a vision, I always do mm-hmm. that. Or not I, I mean, hey, there. I just—I'm I, reading, I, you know, in preparation for this, I'm reading back through some of your campaign stuff, and you know, your answer to uh, to the Bike New York uh, advocacy you know
1: group. What? And we're gonna we're gonna sit here in 20 years mm-hmm. and talk about this council if it gets built, if it gets done in 10, 20, 15, 20, 30 mm-hmm. years, and we're gonna talk about like. The possibilities of what have what could have been done, because in twenty years we're going to be in a different world. In a different
0: world. Well, like I mean, like you just said, you you know, uh, you want you want the federal government, state government roped in more. I mean, you know, yeah. so, somebody's got to do that if you if you want it to happen. <laughs> we got we got um, work to do in the BQE, Ben. That's all I would say. Yeah. We got a lot of work to do at the BQE. Yeah. Um, a couple other quick things before I let you go. Um, you, um, the. The, I want to see if you have a opinion on this nomination of Justice uh, Hector LaSalle to be the chief judge of New York State. Um, this has obviously split a lot of Latino leaders in the city and state. Um, uh, a number of people who are more aligned. Uh, it's not it's not there's not simple uh, you know there's not a simple divide here, but a lot more people who are more on the sort of progressive side of things like yourself. Are, are more opposed, um, but it's not so evenly split like that. Where are you at on, his, have you had a chance to review his record? Um, you know, Governor Hochul has touted this nomination in part as the potential for the first Latino chief judge of New York. That's obviously garnered a, a good bit of support from a number of Latino leaders. Um, where are you at on that nomination?
1: So I just want to say, Ben, you did not warn me that this question was going to be asked during this. Uh, I didn't podcast. warn you about any question, did I? I know, you, but you're coming with some, some, some haymakers. I thought we were friends, Ben. I we were friends. <laughs> no, I want to say this. I want to say this. Um, when it comes to this particular issue and related to whether or not the first Latino or whether they, the progressive credentials exist for this judge. I, I want to talk more about the the nomination itself and what, what I believe Governor Hochul should do. There's a lot of controversy right now. And I don't necessarily think this is a fight that needs to be sought after. Um, I believe that there is a candidate in which Latino members that are supporting Judge LaSalle would be supportive of, and that progressives would be supportive of, and that will be a Latino. There's a there's a good for all opportunity here, um, and what I what I what I'm seeing though is more like the political games and digging your heels in for no apparent reason outside of displaying that there's a level of control here or power that that exi- that exists. But I think for everybody, if right away we would have said, hey, there's a lot of hiccups here, there's some background that we're not comfortable with, it's not smooth, can we do better? And if we can, let's just do that. And I, you know, I believe that the binder of Latino lawyers that would be ideal for this position is not set to one person. It is expansive because Latinos have been doing an amazing job in this country um, and in this city and in this state in, in, in contributing to it. So why are we acting like this is the only Latino that can possibly get this job? So whether or not I agree or disagree with the progressives or the moderates or the Latinos and the non-Latinos is irrelevant. We could all be celebrating together with a more unified candidate. And if I was just playing the po- politics of it all, I would ask the governor to take take a step back, and know, like let's leave pride out of this and let's talk about seeing if there's an opportunity for us to find a candidate that we can all agree on. If not, we're just going to keep fighting. And the last thing I want this nomination to be tied to, the first Latino to be tied to, is controversy. Mm -hmm. I'd rather it be something that's like, we were very proud of the first Latino across the board and that there's no tweets and quotes from Latino leaders um, disparaging the first Latino judge. Like, I don't want that to be the case and it's already there. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather just um, see if we can find a unified candidate.
0: Okay. Um, Last couple of quick things. You've been a a big proponent of things like open streets, uh, summer streets, um, uh, bike lanes, you know, a rethinking, as you've talked a little bit in this conversation about, about, you know, use of public space as borough president and, and as someone always looking at land use issues, do you have any one or two agenda items you want people to know about, about, Expanding certain programs, or taking a fresh look at the way you know some of this space is used, or the Open Streets program, or anything like that—anything at the top of your list here, quickly as we wrap up—that you want folks to know about that.
1: Yeah. So, so first, like the long, large corridors that seem to have been built by, you know, a, a five-year-old with Legos. Which I want to start with Atlantic Avenue. You run down Atlantic Avenue; it turned into different—a highway, a small street, underground above ground, elevated train, uh, gr- grass and partitions, and uh, it's just madness across the board. No continu- no continuity um, and no comprehensive thought. I would love to take Atlantic Avenue and look at it from east to west, sit down with all of the council members along that corridor and have one vision for what Atlantic Avenue could look like uh, and that it be unified and that it makes sense and that it be comprehensive. Atlantic Avenue is also a street for which we're having the most crashes um, and is the most dangerous street for pedestrians, cyclists, and vehicles. Let's look at it. Let's have a comprehensive plan and move forward. Is what I'm hoping we can have, we can do. But then there's other things like here in downtown Brooklyn, and looking at the way we could make this a a, a, a site, a central site, so that people that come and do tourism or want to do business don't need to just go to the central business district. Downtown Brooklyn is a, is the ideal space for that. And I think there's opportunities here. Uh, I'm looking into you know the plazas um, and open opportunities. We're looking for the largest open street in the entire city that Manhattan has that that coronation right now, we wanna take it away from them and see if we can shut down a street here uh, for, long, for longer than just the summer months and really expand on it and show people what we can do. Uh, we work which, alongside which, the Queen President. We don't know yet. Oh, you don't know, uh, okay. Another thing is, uh, I don't make decisions by myself. I'm, I love community engagement, one of the people to let me know what they're thinking, but it is something that I'm gonna be pushing. So again, big on open streets, expanding bike lanes, um, and really uh, making this city a lot easier to bike and walk and take public transportation and move away from the, our over-reliance on vehicles. is always gonna be a foundational piece of who I am as a person. Uh, so it, it, we do have some items that we're gonna be pushing in the near future.
0: Lastly um I haven't followed every application that's out there but I believe there's at least some discussion about getting one of these casino licenses in Brooklyn is that something you support do you, do you want to see one of these new casinos in in your borough I'm not I'm not sure I'm very open minded to it
1: uh, but I'm not sure just yet mm-hmm. I would talk uh, about what Coney Island doesn't have or, or the issues that Coney Island has. Yeah. That's one of the largest uh, debts in our NYCHA developments when it comes to repairs. We're talking about NYCHA developments that have no heat, no hot water, no elevators, undignified housing. No one should be living in these spaces the way they're currently constructed. We also have an economic development problem where we used to have a million people come to Coney Island every single day in the summer months when they're open. We have five million people coming throughout the entire three months of the summer and visiting the, the the you know Luna Park and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need a reinvig- reinvigoration of some sort. I don't know if a casino answers that, but I don't want to dismiss it outright, mm-hmm. especially if this casino could provide, uh, you know, within five years, can every single housing development in Coney Island be repaired and be dignified housing? All of it. Can they do that? Um, are they going to bring more people? We're talking about the one of the highest rates of unemployment, Coney Island, unemployment almost 12%, especially for black and brown people. Are we talking about full-time jobs that they can get? Like Those are all things you can't just push aside um, over what I think people who, people's concerns over a casino, what that would mean for the, the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanna just letting people know that there was a lot of controversy for the site that was put in in Queens and whether or not we wanted to put that. And since it's been in there, a World Resorts casino, since it's been there, you haven't heard much uh, Um, um, in any negative way. So I just wanna be very careful about this knee jerk reaction to anything new or any change. I wanna look at the positives, the negatives and what opportunities exist for Coney Island should this come but we're You're, going through we're going to have a public forum to hear from Coney Island about what they think and we'll see we'll make decisions thereafter.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Your your counterpart in Queens Donovan Richards when I asked him about that he said yes, give me both, you know, give me two, give me the make make the current casino a full full-scale casino and give me the new one uh, you know, that uh, they're talking about near City Field, so he he he's all in on the casinos. It's interest interesting that um you, you know you you make some similar points he did, which is you know there's concerns. There's also, you know, potential opportunities for economic development, jobs, and so forth. So, um, we'll check back in with you on that as we go, uh, and a lot of other things that we discussed here. Appreciate the time, Brooklyn Borough President Antonio Reynoso. Thank you for, for catching up. It's good. We have we didn't. I don't think we we talked in uh, 2022. So it's good to start the year here in 2023 with a good good in depth discussion about what's going on in Brooklyn in your office. So thank you for the time.
1: Thank you, Ben. I think we need a part two. There's a lot of a lot more. But I want to hey. be able to say, and you asked good questions, my brother.
0: I right, appreciate it. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of things on my list here I didn't get to. So let's talk again in a couple months or so, all right? <laughs> all right,
1: don't forget to spread love. It's the Brooklyn
0: way. All, all right, right, thank man. you. we Will do. Thanks a all lot. All right, take care. you Bye. be well.